0: If you would, I'd invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Leviticus chapter 3. Leviticus chapter 3, as we continue our time in looking at the book of Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 3, Moses writes to us under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. These are the Lord's words, the Lord's words spoken to Moses Now, if his offering is a sacrifice of peace offerings, if he is going to offer out of the herd, whether a male or female, he shall offer it without defect before the Lord. He shall lay his hand on the head of his offering and slay it at the doorway of the tent of meeting, and Aaron's sons, the priests, shall sprinkle the blood around on the altar. From the sacrifice of the peace offerings, he shall present an offering by fire to the Lord. The fat that covers the entrails, and all the fat that is on the entrails, and the two kidneys, with the fat that is on them, which is on the loins, and the lobe of the liver, which he shall remove with the kidneys. Then Aaron's sons shall offer up in smoke on the altar, on the burnt offering, which is on the wood that is on the fire. It is an offering by fire of a soothing aroma to the Lord. But if his offering, For a sacrifice of peace offerings to the Lord is from the flock. He shall offer it, male or female, without defect. If he is going to offer a lamb for his offering, then he shall offer it before the Lord. And he shall lay his hand on the head of his offering and slay it before the tent of meeting. And Aaron's sons shall sprinkle its blood around on the altar. From the sacrifice of peace offerings he shall bring as an offering by fire to the Lord it's fat, the entire fat tail, which he shall remove close to the backbone, and the fat that covers the entrails and all the fat that is on the entrails and the two kidneys with the fat that is on them, which is on the loins and the lobe of the liver, which he shall remove with the kidneys. Then the priest shall offer it up in smoke on the altar as food an offering by fire to the Lord. Moreover, if his offering is a goat... Then he shall offer it before the Lord, and he shall lay his hand on its head and slay it before the tent of meeting, and the sons of Aaron shall sprinkle its blood around on the altar. From it he shall present His offering as an offering by fire to the Lord, the fat that covers the entrails and all the fat that is on the entrails. And the two kidneys with the fat that is on them, which is on the loins and the lobe of the liver, which he shall remove with the kidneys. The priest shall offer them up in smoke on the altar as food, an offering by fire for a soothing aroma. All fat is the Lord's it is a perpetual statute. Throughout your generations, in all your dwellings, you shall not eat any fat or any blood. Now this chapter that is before us is the law for the sacrifice of the peace offerings. And we could divide the chapter up into three main sections. And then verse 17 would kind of stand apart by itself. Verses 1 through 5 describes the Law for sacrificing a peace offering from the herd. In other words, sacrificing a, an, an ox denoting the, the cattle. In verses 6 through 11 is the law for sacrificing a peace offering from the flock, flock denoting a sheep, a lamb. And verses 12 through 16 is the law for sacrificing a peace offering from the goats. Verse 17 then is this catch all which applies broadly in regard to the fat and the blood. Now, if you were with us a few weeks ago when we began the series on Leviticus, you may notice some similarities between what we see here in the law for peace offerings with what we saw back in chapter 1, the law for the burnt offerings. Similar to the burnt offerings, these peace offerings were to be brought to the doorway of the tent of meeting. The worshiper would lay his hand on the head of the animal and slay it, and then the... Priest would then proceed to sprinkle the blood around on the altar. And as with the burnt offering, the animal offered for the peace offerings is to be without defect. But there are also some significant and noteworthy differences between the burnt offerings and the peace offerings. In the case of the burnt offerings, the animal offered could be from the herd, the flock, the goats, or from birds in the forms of turtle doves or pigeons. In the case of the peace offerings, there's, there's no allowance... For an offering of birds. In the case of the burnt offerings, only a male could be offered. In the case of the peace offerings, as we've just seen in the reading, male or female could be offered. In the case of the burnt offering, the whole animal, minus the entrails and the hide, were to be offered up in smoke on the altar. In the case of the peace offering... It was just the fat that was to be offered. Notice the language there, verses 3 and 4, in regard to the fat. From the sacrifice of the peace offerings, he shall present an offering by fire to the Lord, the fat that covers the entrails and all the fat that is on the entrails, and the two kidneys with the fat that is on them, which is on the loins, and the lobe of the liver, which he shall remove with the kidneys. And you see similar language in verses 9 and 10. With respect to uh, the sacrifices from the flock, similar language also in verses 14 and 15 with regard to the offering coming from the goats. There's some slight uh, differences in language, and I would take uh, take that slight differences to refer to the anatomical differences between the differences between the herd, the flock, and the goats. It's also worth noting, I think, the way in which these offerings in smoke are described. If you look at verse 4, or excuse me, verse 5, we see that Aaron's sons shall offer it up in smoke on the altar, on the burnt offering, which is on the wood that is on the fire. It is an offering by fire of a soothing aroma to the Lord there's this language here about the the offering uh, going up in smoke as a soothing aroma to the Lord. It's very similar to what we've seen in chapters 1 in regard to the burnt offering, chapter 2 in regard to the grain offering. And we also see there in verse 5 that this is to be placed on the burnt offering that was to be offered up. In other words, you have a burnt offering that's already on the altar being offered up in smoke and the peace offering is to be placed on top of that. And it is thought that the, the burnt offering that's being referred to there in verse 5 may be the daily burnt offering, which was required every, every day throughout the year that there was to be a morning burnt offering and an evening burnt offering. And it's thought perhaps that these, uh, these peace offerings were to be placed on that daily burnt offering and offered up in smoke. But notice the way that the offering of the, the flock is described there in verse 11. So verse 5 describes the, 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 the smoke of the, the fat of the herd going up that we just saw. Verse 11 speaks in regard to the, the offering from, from the flock. Then the priest shall offer it up in smoke on the altar as food, an offering by fire to the Lord. So you have a soothing aroma, verse 5. You have it offered up as food, verse 11. Then look down to verse 16 where you see both images coming together in, uh, in regard to what is described about the goats. The priest shall offer them up in smoke on the altar as food an offering by fire for a soothing aroma. All fat is the Lord's. And I think we can safely say that this combined imagery that we see there in verse 16 in regard to the goats can equally be applied to the offering from the herd and the offering from the flock it 's just uh, just different ways of saying the same thing. I think that uh, that in all three cases it is soothing aroma to the Lord in all three cases, it is offered up as food and then the perpetual statute in verse seventeen that in all of their dwellings they are not to eat any fat or any blood and leviticus seven twenty three through twenty seven fleshes out this command in more detail in regard to the the fat which was prohibited uh, the fat that was prohibited was the fat from an ox, a sheep, or a goat, which were the type of animals that could be offered here for peace offerings and leviticus seven twenty five indicates the strict sentence which a violation of this law would incur, in other words. For a person who ate the fat that was prohibited, what would happen? Leviticus 7.25, For whoever eats the fat of the animal from which an offering by fire is offered to the Lord, even the person who eats shall be cut off from his people. Now it has been suggested, and I think with merit, that this prohibition of eating the fat from such animals is not a prohibition of eating all fat from that animal. In other words, it's not that you can't eat any fat that is on an ox, any fat that is on a sheep, any fat that is on a goat, but rather the prohibition in Leviticus chapter 7 is a prohibition against eating the portions of fat that could be offered up on the sacrifice of a peace offering. In other words, these these particular portions of fat that were to be offered up in smoke on the altar were, were off limits any time you slaughtered an ox, a sheep, or a goat, I think. But that was not to say that no fat from those animals could be eaten. Fats from other parts of the body, I think, could be eaten. And I think to, to speak to this, we find the words of Nehemiah 8.10 where the people are are back. They've they've rebuilt the temple. They're having a a worship service. And uh, they are instructed by their priests and Levites, Go eat of the fat and drink of the sweet and send portions to him who has nothing prepared, for this day is holy to the Lord. And so the prohibition that we see here in verse 17 against the eating of, of fat I think is... Uh, is narrowed down and more focused as you as you move later on in the book of Leviticus. Now, in regard to the prohibition against the eating of blood, this law is also further elaborated upon in Leviticus. So Leviticus seven eleven through 12, we read this, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you on the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood by reason of the life that makes atonement. Therefore I said to the sons of Israel, no person among you may eat blood, nor may any alien who sojourns among you eat blood. Now at the risk of digressing from the larger themes of the chapter to which we will return, I feel that I ought to at least touch briefly on this this issue of the, of the consumption of blood. This is something that, that comes up multiple times in Leviticus. You see it Uh, some other times in scripture, as to is this command a moral command, in other words, still binding on believers throughout all time, or was this a ceremonial command, which has passed away in Christ? And the question is not an easy one, especially in light of Genesis 9-4. In Genesis 9-4, you have God making a covenant with Noah, and uh, one of the commands that is given there in the Noahic covenant is uh, is this. God, God gives to Noah to, to eat from, from the flesh of, of animals. But then Genesis 9, 4, only you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. And further complicated by the instructions that are given by the Jerusalem council in Acts 15, and so as they're deliberating, uh, the, uh, the apostles, you remember Paul and, and Barnabas have gone up to Jerusalem, they're discussing circumcision, should we require this of the Gentiles, should we not, and uh, they agree though, at the end of the council, circumcision, no, but we are going to write a list of a few requirements that we're going to require of the Gentiles. And they uh, agreed that we write to them, this is Acts 15, 20, that we write to them that they abstain from things contaminated by idols and from fornication and from what is strangled and from blood. And those instructions then are are written out in the letter that they send to the Gentile churches in Acts 1529. What should we what should we do with all of this? Well, as a general rule, Opinion regarding the interpretation of the, the command about blood, whether this is a moral command and still binding, or whether this was temporary, and therefore whether the commandment, even in Acts 15, was a temporary command for Christians, you have a division of opinion largely between the Eastern Orthodox Church on the one hand and the Western churches, Roman Catholic and various shades of Protestant, on the other hand. Broadly speaking, the Eastern Orthodox have followed the early church fathers, the early church councils, in regarding this command as moral and therefore still binding on Christians, that Christians may not eat blood. Churches in the West, following the lead of Augustine, have regarded the prohibition against blood in Acts 15 as a a temporary compromise. In this uh, Acts situation where you have large amounts of Jewish Christians very uncomfortable with eating blood, given the Levitical legislation here in Leviticus, and therefore asking G- uh, Gentile converts to Christianity to abstain from blood, and um, and so the idea is don't uh, don't eat blood. So therefore, as to cause Jewish believers to stumble, and uh, just to give an example of of how this has been thought about in later. Uh, later Christendom. uh, In the Augsburg Confession of 1530, the Lutherans were, and confessional Lutherans to this day still are, uh, pretty straight up about what they think about Acts 15. And so they say this, the apostles commanded that one should abstain from blood, etc. Who observes this prohibition now? Those who do not observe it commit no sin, for the apostles did not wish to burden consciences with such bondage. But forbade such eating for a time to avoid offense in connection with the decree, one must consider what the perpetual aim of the gospel is now that's that's kind of painting with a broad brush within the the western church you've had various shades of opinion uh, in in that some uh, some Christians in the West have have been uh, opposed to the eating of blood. now, if I were pressed to give an opinion, I would want to be tentative in the opinion that I give. And I would, I would lean toward the opinion of the Western churches. And if I were pressed to give a reason why, I would say that the list of decrees in Acts 15 did contain prohibitions which were not inherently moral prohibitions. And so they commanded that the believers abstain from things that were sacrificed to idols. In other words, things contaminated by idols was the language they used. But in in 1 Corinthians 10, Paul makes it clear that there's no absolute and inherent necessity of abstaining from things that have been sacrificed to idols. He says you can go to a meat market and you can buy anything that is sold there without asking questions for conscience sake. Why? Because the earth is the Lord and everything in it. This means that Ultimately, it doesn't matter whether it was sacrificed to an idol or not. As Paul would put it in Romans fourteen fourteen. I know and am convinced in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. And so 1 Corinthians 10 at least establishes that the list of prohibitions in Acts 15 is not an entirely moral list, and that you have some, some things that are in there that are not inherently moral commands. As to the... the uh, command of the Noahic covenant of Genesis 9-4, some have seen that as not a prohibition of all blood per se, but as the verse actually says, a prohibition of eating the flesh with its blood in it. A prohibition of eating, that is, uncooked flesh with its blood still in it. You had a situation in 1 Samuel 14 where the soldiers of Saul actually did this. It says that they greedily Rushed upon, I guess, the sheep or whatever, and they they ate it with the blood still in it. And uh, some of the Jewish rabbis, followed by John Gill, were of the opinion that that was what Genesis nine four was actually forbidding—not necessarily forbidding consumption of blood, but actually the forbidding of eating flesh with its blood still in it. And so, in other words, on that reading of Genesis nine, if you go to Scotland and you're into black pudding, have at it. Now. Obviously, if that kind of stuff makes you squeamish or you're uncomfortable in your conscience with that kind of thing, don't don't eat it. And I want to be I want to be clear that I'm very I'm very tentative about about this this interpretation of of the issue of blood. And I realize that may be a lot more than you bargained for uh, by coming to our Sunday evening sermon tonight. But nevertheless, we're going to have to deal with this sometime in the in the book of Leviticus, right? It comes, comes up again and again, so. I, uh, I chose the route of, of sooner rather than later. And again, I'm, I'm tentative on this, and if your conscience is, is tender, by all means, uh, submit to the dictates of your conscience on, on this issue. But let's return to the issue of the peace offerings, the, the, bigger, the bigger story here in Leviticus 3, because uh, this, is, this is helpful. We've, we've seen in the text of Leviticus 3 that the fat was offered to the Lord as this soothing aroma and as food, but Leviticus 3 didn't tell us what happened to the rest of the animal, right? didn't tell us what happens. And so to, to that, we have to look ahead to Leviticus chapter 7. And if you flip over to Leviticus chapter 7, uh, what you see in Leviticus 7, uh, 15 through 21 is that there are different stipulations as to when the sacrifice was to be eaten, that is to say, when this sacrifice was to be eaten by the worshiper. And the different stipulations are based on what particular type of peace offering it is. And Lord willing, we'll look at those different types of peace offering more as we, as we progress through the series on Leviticus. But you'll also notice there, if, you're, if you've got a finger in uh, Leviticus 7, that verse 31 of chapter 7 tells us that the breast of the peace offerings belongs to the priest. It is uh, to be presented as a, as a wave offering to the Lord, and then it belongs to the priest. And also, if you look down to Leviticus 7 33 and 34, you'll notice that in addition to the breast, the right thigh of the peace offering also belonged to the priest. The point is, when we put the pieces together, is that these peace offerings served for the purpose of a fellowship meal. The fat of the peace offerings, the, that is to say, the best portions, of these peace offerings were offered up as food to the Lord as a soothing aroma on the altar the breast and the right thigh belonged to the priest and the rest belonged to the worshiper the fact that it had to be eaten by a certain time as those uh, stipulations in Leviticus 7 inform us for some of them for some of those sacrifices it had to be eaten on the same day for others they could be eaten the same day or the next day but if it was left over to the third day it had to be burned up and the reason for this may have been to encourage generosity, perhaps toward the poor, perhaps toward neighbors. The meat had to be eaten up or else burned. It's kind of like us having, having a big cookout, having a bunch of burgers on the grill, and the party's over, and you know that there's a bunch of people next door, and they're like, hey, come on over, we've got, we got some extra burgers. It's, it's going to go bad, we might as well eat it, right? That's, that's, that, may, that dynamic may well have been going on here. The peace offerings were for the purpose of a fellowship meal. Michael Morales uh, put it this way. He said, "...upon ascending into the heavenly abode of God, the Israelite enjoys the hospitality of the house of God. This aspect of the cultic journey is highlighted by the communion rite of the peace offering, whereby the Israelite was given a portion of the sacrificial meat to eat with his family and friends in the presence of God." In the ancient Near East, as is still the case in various cultures today, friendships solidified and covenants sealed by a shared meal, and hospitality itself was a serious matter of honor. In the Bible, God himself is seen to be the model for what it means to be a host. When brought into the Lord's house through the way he has opened, the worshiper is treated as a son and a prince." This was a fellowship meal. It was a meal on the one hand in which there was horizontal fellowship among people. The the worshiper and his family, his friends, his neighbors, the poor whom he invited. Fellowship between the worshiper and and the priest. And then there was also vertical fellowship between the worshippers and God. And I think... it's probably worthwhile considering some of the incidents in Old Testament history when we see these peace offerings being presented. You see these peace offerings being presented on some occasions where there was uh, great joy and worship when more or less everything was great in Israel, or at least as good as one could expect it to be. So for instance... We find David offering both burnt offerings and peace offerings in 2 Samuel 6, 18. And that was the occasion when they had finally brought the Ark of the Covenant up to Jerusalem. You remember the first time they didn't do it the right way. It uh, started to slip off a cart. Uzziah, uh, or Uzzah, touched it and he died. And then finally they, they did it the right way. They carried it up on poles. They got it to Jerusalem. And they had a very celebratory time of great joy Uh, 2 Samuel 6.15 says, David and all the house of Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouting and the sound of the trumpet. And this was the time that David danced before the Lord and his wife despised him. You see a a similar situation in 1 Kings 3.15 where Solomon offered burnt offerings and peace offerings and made a feast for all of his servants after the Lord had appeared to him. Solomon had asked the Lord for wisdom and the Lord had promised to give him not only wisdom but also riches and honor. And Solomon then returned to Jerusalem and offered these burnt offerings and peace offerings to the Lord. And So you have some occasions where things are about as good as you could hope for in Israel. And you have these peace offerings being offered. But there are also peace offerings that were offered under less joyful circumstances. And so we find the people of Israel doing this in Judges 20, verse 26... And the context there is the civil war that was going on between Benjamin and the rest of the tribes of Israel. The Benjaminites had refused to hand over the the men of Gibeah to be judged for their treatment of the Levites' concubine, whom they had raped and abused. And the rest of the tribes went to do battle against the Benjaminites. And after two days of battle and 40,000 Israelites dead, they brought to the Lord burnt offerings and peace offerings and inquired of the Lord. And similarly, David, after the sinful census of 2 Samuel 24, built that altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Arana of the Jebusite and offered to the Lord burnt offerings and peace offerings. And God was willing to receive and to fellowship with his people, both when they seemed to be at their best and when they were very much not at their best. And even in those occasions where there was evil that had been committed, the Lord was still willing to receive his people, provided they came with godly sincerity and came in the way that he had prescribed. And if God was willing to receive and to fellowship with his sinful people in the Old Testament on the basis of such sacrifices that were only shadows pointing ahead to Christ, and if God was willing to be at peace with them and to put aside the enmity and how much more can we be certain that the Lord will do the same for us because our true peace offering, Christ, has been offered up to God. And so Paul says in Colossians 1, 19 and 20, For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in Him, and through Him to reconcile all things to Himself, having made peace through the blood of His cross. Through Him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. Jesus has made peace for us through the blood of his cross for all who come to God through faith. Likewise, Romans 5, 1 and 2, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we exult in the hope of the glory of God. Christ is the sacrifice who establishes peace for us with God. Is it any wonder, then, that Christ also established for us a sacrificial fellowship meal by which we symbolically partake of his sacrifice? Now, certainly in the Lord's Supper, we do not eat the physical body of Christ. We do not drink the physical blood of Christ. Christ's physical body is in heaven. But nevertheless, in the Lord's Supper, we do, in a spiritual sense, partake of Christ's body and, blood. and so if you would flip with me over to, to 1 Corinthians 10, because I think, uh, I think it's interesting how Paul draws the, draws the parallels between, uh, between Old Testament worship, New Testament worship, and what happens in pagan worship in these kind of sacrificial meals. And so uh, look at First Corinthians 10, starting in verse 14. He says, "'Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak to you as wise men.'" As to wise men, you judge what I say. Is not the cup of blessing which we bless a sharing in the blood of Christ? Is not the bread which we break a sharing in the body of Christ? Since there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of one bread. Look at the nation of Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifices sharers in the altar? Now, notice... What Paul's doing here in the context, he's, he's dealing with the, the issue of idolatry and these idolatrous worship practices that are going on there in Corinth. And Paul wants these Corinthian Christians to flee from idolatry, and the way that he does so is to employ an argument from the Lord's Supper. So he says, Is not the cup of blessing that we bless, sharing in the blood of Christ, is not the bread which we break, a sharing in the body of Christ? Since there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. And the word that is translated there as, as sharing in the New American Standard could also be translated as participation, fellowship, communion. According to Paul, There is some kind of sharing in the blood of Christ when we partake of the cup. There is some kind of sharing in the body of Christ when we partake of the bread. Similarly, he says in verse 18 that those in the nation of Israel who eat the sacrifices are sharers in the altar. That's that's what you have going on here in the case of the peace offerings. And he refreshes their mind with these truths... And then he goes on in verses 19 through 22 to make his point that he's coming to about idolatry. Remember, that's how he started out in verse 14. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. And he gives this uh, situation drawing from New Testament worship, Old Testament worship, then verses 19 and following. He says, what do I mean then? That a thing sacrificed to an idol is anything or that an idol is anything? no. But I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. I do not want you to become sharers in demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Or do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? We are not stronger than he, are we? And so notice the, the parallels that, that he points out. And that is that if these Corinthians were to participate in a pagan sacrificial meal, pagan sacrificial ritual, and eat the food sacrificed, they become in some sense sharers with demons. That's what he says in verse 20. And the parallel situation is uh, pointed out there in verse 21. He says you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. There's some kind of some kind of parallelism going on between... Partaking in the cup of the Lord, which is a good thing, versus, on the other hand, the bad thing, partaking in the table of demons. In other words, it is completely incompatible for a believer to be a sharer with demons in participating in a pagan meal and at the same time to be a sharer in the blood of Christ. In other words, there's something spiritual going on in both cases. It's a good kind of spiritual in regard to a believer coming to the Lord's Supper. It's a bad kind of spiritual in regard to someone participating in a pagan Ritual. Given Paul's argument here, how could it be otherwise? That there's a good kind of spiritual in the Lord's Supper, good kind of spiritual in the Old Testament sacrifices, a bad kind of spiritual in these pagan rituals. And this, I think, is, is helpful for us as we consider the connection between the peace offerings in the Old Testament context and the Lord's Supper in the New Testament context. It announces to us that The Lord's Supper announces to us that a sacrifice has been made. The the death that brings us peace with God has already been accomplished. It is Christ. He has died, and in the Lord's Supper, our memories are refreshed of what Christ has done for us, and we also have fellowship with, with Christ There's the the vertical component of a fellowship, just as in the peace offerings the worshiper had a vertical fellowship with God, and then there's also the horizontal aspect as well, because we don't come to the Lord's table by ourselves. Just like these worshipers in the Old Testament would, would at least be giving some of their sacrifice to a priest, presumably to their family, maybe a whole lot of other people also. They would be coming together. Again, think of the church and the Lord's Supper. We come to the Lord's table together. And if we receive the Lord's Supper as we ought while truly trusting in Christ and the merits of his death for our salvation, we have communion with God in the ordinance of the Lord's Supper. We receive the bread and the cup in the thankful remembrance of Christ and of his sacrifice for us. And in this way, we are, we are blessed. Our faith is strengthened. Our hearts are drawn once again to, to God and the richness of all that has been provided for us. And obviously, this does not happen automatically, though. didn't happen automatically in the Old Testament. doesn't happen automatically in the New Testament either. As if one could simply come to the Lord's table and think that by eating and drinking it, they automatically get some spiritual benefit. Absolutely not. 1 Corinthians 11 is abundantly clear that you can eat and drink judgment to yourselves in the Lord's Supper if you don't come to the Lord's Supper judging the body rightly, judging that, in fact, this is the Lord's Supper, that in fact we are receiving the signs of the body and blood of the Lord Jesus. If we come irreverently and profanely and not correctly considering what we are doing, our participation in the Lord's Supper does not bring blessing, it brings judgment. And even so, it was in the Old Testament time as well. The mere participation in the offering and the eating of these peace offerings did not necessarily mean that the one who did so was at peace with God, just as with any religious rite, Even those ordained by God, the peace offerings could be abused and put to an evil purpose. And Solomon actually puts on the lips of the adulterous woman in Proverbs 7 to say, I was due to offer peace offerings. Today I have paid my vows. It's very perfectly clear that whatever this woman did when she was up at the temple, her heart was not right. Before God, And it almost seems as if she might be seeking to use the meat of the peace offerings as a way to entice that young man whom she met to come aside to be with her. She says in the next verse, Therefore I have come out to meet you, to seek your presence earnestly, and I have found you. If the Lord's ordinances in the Old Testament could be abused in that way, then certainly the ordinances of the New Testament could likewise be abused. But nevertheless, all abuses aside, those who come to God's fellowship meal in the way that God has ordained in faith, in love, and in obedience, these fellowship meals, the peace offerings in the Old Testament, the Lord's Supper in the New Testament, are blessed occasions of joy, knowing that we have peace with God, that our sins have been taken away, the enmity has been done away with. We have peace with God through Christ, we have fellowship with God through Christ. We have fellowship with one another on account of the sacrifice that has been offered for us. As Paul put it in Ephesians 5, 2, Christ gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. Just like these sacrifices in the Old Testament time were given as a fragrant aroma to the Lord, how much more so Christ as a fragrant aroma has been offered up for us. These, in Leviticus, were but a shadow of the true substance, which is found in Christ. Christ is the true and ultimate fragrant aroma. And all of these of the Old Testament times were merely pointing ahead to him. And so, friends, allow the peace offerings described here in Leviticus 3, however foreign, however strange they may seem to us, what we need to do is to allow them to point us to Christ so that we may rejoice in Christ and may rejoice in the fellowship that we have with God through Christ. And as we have opportunity, let's join in that fellowship meal that God provides for us on the basis of the sacrifice, symbolizing the fellowship that is ours with God. And I would encourage you to to think on this uh, this coming week, as Lord willing, we'll be coming to the Lord's table this next Sunday morning. Praise be to the Lord that we have peace with God through Jesus Christ who was offered up to God for us as a fragrant aroma. Let's pray. Our Father, as we look through the book of Leviticus, we see much that is beyond our experience. We see many things that seem strange to us. Lord, we ask that we would seek to understand your purposes in these commands as you gave them to your people, And Lord, we pray that we would see in greater measure, with greater joy, how they pointed to Christ. Let us find the fulfillment of these things in Christ, and let us rejoice in Him. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.